So we're going to be talking some about um, God's grace for us today and some of God's attributes. So what are, what are some, some attributes? When you think of the power of God, what do you think of? His holiness, sovereignty, grace, very good, faithfulness, and mercy, love for sure. And I, a lot of times when I think of the power of God, I think about um, how he created everything. And, and Genesis tells us that he spoke it into existence. Um, but and I think it was Verenius said grace. That's what we're going to talk about today. Sometimes when we think about God's power, we think about the physical things that we can see that he does. But probably one of the, the greatest, most important powers, the, the attributes that he has is grace. The, an you know unmerited favor or a, a gift from God that he doesn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. But he loves us enough that he has his plan and despite our inability to do what we're supposed to do sometimes, the plan comes true and, and he always works it out in a different way. Talking a lot about kings, you know, God created his people and there have been lots of ups and downs, but they wouldn't listen to the judges, and finally they said, we need to have a king, and so God gave them Saul, and Saul did okay for a little while, but he's, he's a man, right? He's a person, and like all of us, he had faults, and those faults led him to sin against God, and he wouldn't, wouldn't ask for repentance, and, and God removed him from being the king, and then God made time for David to be the king. And David, again, was a very good king, and he, he walked with God, and he did many of the things that God wanted him to. But we talked about last week, even David gave in to the temptations of the flesh here on earth, and that caused some, some pretty bad consequences for David. It didn't derail God's plan, but it really changed how we thought maybe things would work out. And we have to remember, every time we see one of these earthly kings who's supposed to do what God wants them to do, and as we keep going through the books of Kings and Chronicles, we're going to see lots of examples of kings. And many of them, you know, we'll get to, you'll be familiar with the phrase, did evil on the side of the Lord. They do not do what God wants them to do at all. They don't even pretend to. There are some who do, do good in God's eyes. You know, none of us are perfect. But it's, it's that thing where we see earthly kings that they always fall short, no matter how hard they try, no matter how well God sets them up to be successful, because we as people have a sin nature in us, and it's very difficult for us to always be holy and honorable all the time. We fail, and that is sinful, and that's why we all need a Savior. But all of this points to our one true king, who's Jesus Christ, who was the perfect person who lived on earth, who lived a sin-free life, who willingly died on the cross to pay for our sins. It's through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ is the only way that we are righteous in God's eyes and the only way we can be with him forever. And, and that's really what we're going to look at today is we're going to talk about um, God as the gracious king, and we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians um, I like to tell people if you're, if you're having a bad day or you want some encouragement, read the first three chapters of Ephesians because they are great uplifting words of God where 
through Paul in his letter to the Ephesians in those first three chapters tells us all kinds of things that God has done for us and shows us where we were and then where God has brought us to. And so if you'll open up, um, I'd like to just start off in Ephesians chapter 1. And it, you know, after the greeting Paul gives, Paul goes through, yeah, it's in verses 3 through 14, he gives us a very good description of who our identity as believers is in Christ. So why don't you look through there? What are some things that jump out at you as far as, as who we are in Christ and what God has done for us? We're chosen, right? God chose us. He, he chose us and pursued us because he loves us. We're predestined. It's, it, we're predestined to be this way. God knew us before... You can read in the Psalms, God knew us before we were knit in our mother's wombs. He knew us from the beginning, and he knows us through the end, and he knows who we are. Yes, he chose us before the foundations of the world. God's plan is known, and God knows what's going to happen, and, and that plays out in his time. It's hard for us as people, especially people who are planners, who want to have everything written down, and everything is scheduled out, and me yesterday trying to put a new plug on my welder, and I'm trying to get that thing back together, and it won't line up, and it's pretty simple. There's three things go in, and you put it together, and there's four screws. But it took me about an hour. I couldn't get all those little parts together. And, you know, I was going to have a lot more stuff done, but that was pretty much what I did yesterday. A lot of working in the shop. So God does have that plan. He knew us ahead of time for that. Um, one thing I like is it's in the very beginning there, he says that he, he gave us every spiritual blessing. When you are saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and God has given you every spiritual blessing, right? We have the full toolkit. We have it all. But do we know how to use it? No. That's what takes all the time. That's what takes practice. That's where our sinful nature starts fighting with the holiness that we're indwelt with, with the Holy Spirit. And we have to as we go through the, the maturation process and we are sanctified in that whole sanctification process, we have to work at that, and that's hard, and we have to learn how to use those spiritual gifts that God has given us. But when you are saved from the very beginning, God gives that all to you. You just have to know how to use it. And knowing how to use it and use it in a right way that honors and glorifies God takes your lifetime. We can all do better. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. We can all do better at, at using the spiritual gifts that God's given us. Um, you know, we get redemption through Christ. We get forgiveness of sins. Um, he makes known the mystery to us, the mystery of God and who that is. Before you're a believer, you can read the Bible. Lots of people read the Bible, but they don't really understand a lot of the words that's that. When you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit inside you helping you understand what God's Word is, and that makes that impact on your life and the bible comes to life and it's much more meaningful and you really get a better understanding as a believer it's just not a book it's it's god's love written down for you and guidance and understanding of what it is that you're supposed to. and it talks about towards the end there paul talks about an inheritance because that's really what we get when we become believers um, we're adopted right when we are saved, we're adopted into Abraham's family. We become a child of God. And with that, we get an inheritance from our Father God. And that's an important thing. That inheritance is eternal life with him. You know, when, 
when we are done here on earth, when God calls us home, we're in his presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we get that inheritance. And that's when we will finally have a full understanding of everything that God has really done for us. And we can look back on our lives and we can see hopefully now some of the things that he's done for us. But we'll be able to really have that understanding that comes from being in the presence of God and really understanding truly what he's done for us. So in chapter 1, after Paul describes all these things that God has done for us, then we get to chapter 2. And this is where we start to come to really understand what grace is and why we need grace. And so I'm going to read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So when Paul sent this letter to the Ephesians, he tells them all these great things that God has done for us and what's, what we have through Christ and our relationship with Christ. But then he reminds us, where were we before we were saved and where are lost people now? We're dead in our sin. And that, that's one of those things that, that's always tied together is death and sin. Because how, how, did, how did sin come into the world? Genesis chapter 3, right? Where Satan deceived Eve and Adam, and they disobeyed God, and sin came into the world. And what followed sin? Death. Death always follows sin. Wherever there's sin... There's a price to pay for that, and that price is death. And so, you know, Paul is reminding the Ephesians here, and as we read it, we get reminded that before we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, it says, and formerly walked according to the course of this world. Because someone who's lost, what are they serving? What are they seeking? Themselves, because that's all they know. They, they are doing whatever they think is right. They're doing whatever makes them feel good. They're doing whatever it is that they want to do. As a believer, what should we be doing? Serving God, following what God wants us to do. And, and you can sum the two commandments up in, in loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And all of our actions should be governed by that. Everything that we do, all the thoughts that we have, everything that we say, whatever we do in our life, should be about showing our love for God and, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, doing things. For, in loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves, there's a lot of self-sacrifice. And someone who's not saved and they're just doing things for themselves, it's pure selfishness. Whereas a Christian is not selfish. The Christian realizes who they are and what God's done for them, and they want to serve other people. God's called them to do that and to be obedient to God. We should want to do that. But people who aren't saved, you know, it says that they walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Who, who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Satan. And God has allowed him for this time to have certain powers. And it's Satan who's tempting us to do the wrong things. It's Satan who has a lot of power right now to do things that don't honor God, that are self-serving for us, that as, as our fleshly nature makes us feel good and we want to do those kinds of things. And so we just have to be very careful with that and understand 
that's what's happening, that Satan's real, and he is out there, and he's trying to tempt us to do the wrong thing. We have the ability to withstand that temptation because as saved people and being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and God's given us his word, we know what we're supposed to do, and if we have faith and trust in God, we can resist sin and resist temptation. As hard as it might be, we have the ability to do that. And when when we make a bad choice and we don't, God has promised us that through the work Christ did on the cross that our sins are forgiven. And so we need to acknowledge that sin, ask for forgiveness and repent, which means to turn and walk away, and then start walking on the path that God has laid out for us. He does that. And, and one, of, one of the things that Satan does is he tries to remind us of what we've given up as Christians. Because as Christians... Many things that we did uh, before we became believers, we did to serve ourselves, And now we don't do that. And that sacrifice is hard to do. And one of the ways Satan tries to do that by taking our joy, what, what he tries to do is tempt us to remind us to say, remember when you were so happy because you had all of this money or you used to do these things or you could sleep in on Sunday or... You could be mean to people. Whatever that thing is that he wants to remind us of. What's he reminding us of? Our old sinful nation. The flesh. The things that we feel good in this three-dimensional world that's a fleshly world. That, you know, looking at things from a worldly perspective. And if, if we let him do that and we do think back on that and we think about how much we miss sleeping in on Sunday. And so, well, I'm just going to do that this one time or something. We really can't do that because what we need to do then is remind ourselves of everything that Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 1. We need to remind us where our joy comes from and, and what we are supposed to be doing and what the end reward is. Because if you don't accept Christ as your Savior and you're not saved, what is your reward when you die? Die your physical death. Lake of fire. You, you will be eternally separated from God. That is what... You've earned yourself by putting yourself first. But you're going to spend eternity with yourself and not with God. And with Satan, the one that you followed because you chose to ignore God and not, not accept Christ as your Savior and go about your business and do whatever you wanted. And there are different places in the Bible where it tells us that those people, all of their rewards, they're receiving right now on this earth. All of the things that they enjoy on earth that's what their reward is because when they pass from this world if they haven't accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior they are eternally dead their soul will be demanded as the price for their sins and they will be at the, towards you know at the very end be cast in the lake of fire with Satan as opposed to those who are saved and are earnestly you know we are trying to be obedient and trying to follow Christ as best we can understanding when we fail and we will fail we're people we still have our sins forgiven. If, you know, we need to repent and, and recognize that and not let Satan capitalize on that. Um, and, the, and it's true for all of us. You know, it says in um, chapter three, or verse 3, it says, among them, too, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. And so when we're talking about this, this is everybody that this impacts. This isn't just some people or if you weren't born in a Christian home. There's no, there's no divider. There's no qualifications here this is something that we all deal with but part of God's plan and his love for us is he knows what needs to happen for us to be able to be saved 
And so he gives us grace. You know, we talk about God pouring his grace out on us in abundance. And that's, that's what Paul told the Ephesians in verses 4 through 7 in chapter 2. So I'm going to go ahead. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And there's two words that start out verse 4 that are some of the best words in the Bible. And what are they? But God. Many, many times we as people, and we see lots of examples in the Bible, and we know it in our own lives, we stray, right? We, our hearts are sinful by nature, and without that ability of God to rein us in and us have that faith and trust in him and God helping us get to where we're supposed to go, we go off the path and, and we get stuck in the mud and we're sitting there and we're stuck, like stuck up to the axle stuck. And what happens? God comes along and he's like, oh, man, what did I tell you? But God loves us. And he's going to forgive us our sins, and he's going to put a tow rope on us, and he's going to pull us out of the mud and get us back on the right road. And we're going to be all muddy, and you might have, you know, torn up your transfer case or something like that. You may have damaged something, but God will help you get back on the road and get back to going where you need to go. And many times in our lives, I bet if you look back and you think about it, you have a but God phrase where circumstances happened and you made bad choices and you were in a really dire place but God came along and through his sovereignty and his love for you and your willingness to honor him got you back on the right path and you weren't destroyed and there may be consequences you have to deal with but God has set you on a path and God will use those experiences in your life to strengthen your faith to move you forward and and to help his witness through you on this earth about what God does for believers and how God can change people. And, and there are other stories, you know, in the Bible that you can think about. I mean, if you think about Abraham and Sarah, because God told Abraham, he made him a promise that his offspring would populate the entire earth. How old were Abraham and Sarah when they finally had Isaac? They were 90 to 100. They were like past childbearing age right and they hadn't been the perfect example of believers up to this point right because who came before Isaac Ishmael because Abraham knew God made him a promise he just couldn't see how God was going to make this happen and so they wanted to help you know and and it was Sarai at the time was more than willing to to, to work this plan out with Abraham to of, you know, Hagar, my handmaid, should have your child, because then you'll have one, and we'll make this work. Did And what are the consequences of that? Who are Ishmael's children? And you can read in Genesis, it says they're wild donkeys of men, and they will fight each other. And that's what we have. That's all this is coming about, because... Abraham, you know, Abram and Sarai tried to help God's plan along. Well, we, it's hard to be patient, and it's hard to wait. But Isaac did come, so that's one of those but God moments. You know, when we think about Moses, Moses was saved by faithful parents because the Hebrews were getting to be too big in numbers, and Pharaoh was telling them all the male children need to be killed, but 
Moses' parents saved and hid him until he was about three months, and then they put him in a little basket, which it's the same word as an ark, and they float him down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and he grows up, and he has this great upbringing, which gives him all these privileges, but he knows he's a Hebrew. And then what, is, what does Moses do when he sees someone attacking one of his um, people? tries to defend him, attacks him, and kills him, right? And that, that consequence ends up with Moses having to run away. Um, and he goes and spends a lot of time in the desert. And God could have just left him out there in the desert, but what does God do for Moses? But God shows up of a burning bush and gets Moses' attention. He takes Moses and uses Moses to free his people and leads them out of the desert, and they cross the Red Sea. You know, and there's all these moments that we can see, and we have these in our life. And so we need to remember that God loves us so much, even though we have done something that we thought would work out really well, and it just doesn't, and it ends up not glorifying God, and it's a bad thing, to just, you know, stop where we are and turn back to God and get back on the right path, because God will help us to do that. You know, it talks about in... um, you know, in verse 4, you know, being rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us. And God has unending mercy and unending grace. And we can never reach the end of that. God is infinitely powerful and he'll never run out of grace. And so we can't ever think that we could commit a sin that's big enough that God won't forgive us. God will always forgive us. There may be very, very big consequences. But God loves us that much. He's willing to do whatever it is that he can do to help us move forward and to honor and glorify him. And in all of this, it, it, do, we, do we really play any part in this other than accepting God as God and believing in him and, and Christ as our Lord and Savior? We don't, because it says in verse 5, um, it says, you know, even when we were dead in our transgressions, and we're speaking of God, made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive. It's not anything we do. It just, you know, this, and this whole part of Ephesians emphasizes this, that we don't play any part in this other than to believe in God and accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the action we can take. But there's, there's really nothing else that we do. Think of all the things that you qualify for or certificates that you get or even your driver's license how did you get your driver's license how to study and practice right and you got to pass pass the written test and then you have to pass the driving test right do we have to do any of that for salvation no when we die we don't go to a testing room where god says sit down and write out your 10 favorite verses right we can't we can't buy it you can't You can't write a check for your salvation. There's no work you can do that can save yourself. There's none of that. It's all through God's love and grace, and it's it's accepting that gift. And that's really what what that is that we have. And we are, you know, at at the end of verse 5 there, it says, you know, made us alive together with Christ. And in 6 it says, it raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So truly, we are in Christ, and we are with Christ, and we can do that because of the love and mercy and grace of God. So if, if you'll, um, it is as a believer, and it's, so God tells us this is going to happen, and God always keeps his promises, so, so this is a done deal. 
And, and once you're saved, all these things are there. Just like all, you get all the spiritual gifts, you are saved and your place is there and you are adopted and you will be with God in heaven and you will be with Christ and you will be raised up with him. Um, if you look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, Paul in his, his letter to the Colossians does a good job of describing this. Uh, it's Colossians 2, starting in verse 9, we'll go through 14. So, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, and so we're, we're talking about Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it. And so when we talk about being with Christ, those are all the things as believers, the privileges that we have and that Christ has done for us. All of these things. You know, it talks about circumcision of the flesh. It's your earthly, fleshly body that's now dead to God. It's gone, and you're spiritually alive. And God recognizes you as spiritually alive, and God recognizes you are righteous. And we're not righteous through our own actions, but we're righteous because of the work Christ did on the cross. We have that righteousness through Jesus Christ. So when, when God looks at us, he doesn't see all the mistakes and the sin and the bad behavior that we've done in our whole life. He sees his child who is perfect and has no sin and can be in his presence. And all of that's because of the work that Christ did on the cross. When we say that Christ paid for all of our sin, that's what's happening. Sin has a requirement for payment, which is death. And Christ died, and his death pays that debt for us. So there in Colossians, we're talking about canceling that, that certificate of debt, that sin debt that we owe. Christ paid for it. And that's what redemption, when we talk about being redeemed, it means that this debt was paid. That, that's been written off. It's canceled. That mortgage has been torn up, and, and we can be in the presence of God. And towards the end of this, in verse 7, it talks about, So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So God's already done an amazing thing in providing salvation for us. Would you agree? But this is telling us the best is yet to come. If you think being saved and forgiven of your sins is an awesome thing, wait until you're standing in the presence of the living God and the rest of the Bible plays out. You know, if you read and you look at Revelation, we're in the church age. There's all these things that have happened in the past. Messiah has come and he died and he was raised. And then once we're done with the church age, when everyone who is supposed to be saved at that time is saved and Christ comes back, we all leave. If we're dead, we'll be raised from the grave. First Thessalonians chapter 4.
tells us that Christ will return and you'll hear the trumpet and the voice of the archangel and Christ will be on the clouds. And first the dead will rise and then the living in Christ, right? It's the rapture and we go and we're with him. But that's not the end all be all. We're not going to be, that's not the forever part of the story. We're with God. But then we have to have the seven years of the tribulation. And then there's the millennial time. And then there's the final war. And then New Jerusalem comes. And so there's all of these things that are still going to play out. Um, we just won't be here for the rest of that. We'll see some of that. We'll participate in that in God's plan. But the best really is yet to come. And so we think about, you know, um, think of your favorite thing here on earth and how good that is. As good as that is and as happy as that makes you and as much joy as that brings you, being in the presence of the living God and seeing him and experiencing what heaven will be like and going through all that is going to be an, an undescribable amount better than that. And so we have that to look forward to. So God is gracious and he loves us and that's, that is great, but it's going, to get, it's going to get even that much. So I'm going to continue on. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. We'll see how God's grace is, is realized through faith, and it should prompt us to praise him. So picking up here in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And it's just a reminder Paul's giving them that we're saved by grace and, and that through Jesus Christ. None of this happens without Christ and his work on the cross. And that we're created by God to do God's will. We are his workmanship. We're created in his image. And he made each one of us and he, and he has things for us to do that he wants us to do. That's what it's talking about. The, you know, the good works prepared beforehand. If you read through James, the whole book of James is about faith without works is dead. If you're saved and you become a new creation in Christ and you don't act on that and you don't behave more like Christ and you don't love God and love your neighbor like yourself, it's really a question if you're saved. And, and there are lots of places in the Bible, if you look in the Gospels, where God uses the example of fruit. Right? We don't get... Um, you don't get thistles from a pear tree, right? What grows on a pear tree? Pear, good fruit, right? Thistles grow on thistles. You know, juniper berries grow on juniper trees. That, that analogy of fruit is you see this thing and it grows and it bears something. There's a work. There's something it produces. We as Christians... If we are living in a right way and we are being obedient to God and we're loving God and we're loving our neighbor, you'll see fruits of the Spirit from that person. And you can find that in Galatians chapter 5. And if, if you aren't, and you won't see all of those all the time because we've talked about we're imperfect people. But you should see someone change. You should see a change in their behavior. You should see a change in what they focus on. You should see a change in who they attribute to the successes they have or the ability to do the things that they do, right? By loving God, we give God the, the glory. If you're not seeing that, then there's a problem. And, and God, um, Mary Lou pointed out, God created us and knew of us before the, you know, when, when the world was created, God knew who we were before we were knit in our, in our mother's womb. 
God had all this planned out for us. And so God has these things he needs us to do that we should try our best to do. And I think King David was a very good example of what we've been talking about in Ephesians. Because he was, you know, God had a plan for David, right? There's a reason, you know, what, what were some unusual things about David being chosen to be the king? Where did he fall in his family line? Last, right? Um, and, and what was David's job as the youngest? Shepherd, right? And we talked about that, that usually the oldest son got the privileges and got the special things and got things first. Well, God does things in a different way to show that it's his power. He chose David as the youngest. God had David be a shepherd to prepare him. And, and God made him successful. Did God give David the kingship right away? No, and actually, David served Saul, the reigning king, for a long time, about 25 years, before Saul, you know, God had removed the kingship from Saul. He had removed his spirit from him, but he still was king, and he did that for a long time until, through God's plan, Saul and his sons were killed in battle, and David became the king. And then David was very successful. He was. And, and all of that, you know, God had David go through all of that. And Mary Lou said he was teaching David, and he was. And David was a good pupil. David followed God and did really well right up to what point? Bathsheba. And he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he, he saw something with his eyes and let his fleshly nature take over. And it started this chain of consequences, which ended up in the death of that child that was from that encounter he had with Bathsheba. But what else, you know, because God's telling us here that he loves us and he has mercy on us and that it's grace through faith and our, our sins are all forgiven. What does God do for David after all of these bad choices David makes? Gives him another son. God forgave David the sin, didn't remove all the consequences, but God loves David, gives him another son, Solomon, who ends up being the wisest man ever and builds the temple for God and does these great things. So, you know, just in thinking back and applying it to your life and, and thinking through things that you've done and situations you've gotten yourself in, how God has turned that into something that can be good and not necessarily remove the consequences, but turn that into good and part of that workmanship and part of that growth. Because David learned from that. And, and part of it, David wrote Psalm 51, and he wrote that after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and after the child of that union had died and these things are happening. But um, I want to read for you, it's in Psalm 51, it's verses 12 to 17, to see where David's heart was. After all these things had happened, right? The bad things have happened and we're going through the bad consequences, but David still loved God and, and did not give up on God. And so in Psalm 51, we'll start in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And so David here, even, even after going through this, is telling, you know, he's asking God for forgiveness. He's asking him to restore his joy. He's asking him to take away, you know, his blood guiltness. Because remember, along with the adultery to try to cover it up, David arranged for Uriah to be killed in battle. And so David's asking God to forgive him, but he's also telling God what? He's telling him that he's going to teach transgressors your, way, your ways and that they'll be saved. He's, he's telling him that he's going to um, declare your praise, that he's going to delight in his sacrifice. And he's acknowledging that really God doesn't want the sacrifices. So you think about the Old Testament sacrifices and things. God wasn't pleased by the killing of a heifer and the sprinkling of her blood and the burning of certain parts and the part of it. What was God pleased by? Contrite heart and obedience. They're doing what God wants them to do and they're earnestly taking these actions. Some of, you know, there were lots of different kinds of offerings and sacrifices. Um, some of those were, you know, there were peace offerings, um, different ones that were called for, but there were sin offerings. And, and someone had to make the sin offering when they committed a sin. And that's, you know, in a way, was setting up for us. When we sin, God expects us to ask for forgiveness from God, to, to pray and ask for forgiveness, to repent and turn from that. And sometimes that means if, if we sinned against someone here on earth, that we need to go to that person and try to make amends. We need to acknowledge to them that we sinned against them. We did something that was disobedient to what God calls us to do to apologize and to try to make that right as best we can. Some things we do, we can't undo, but we can at least acknowledge to that person that we understand what we did hurt them, and we don't want, you know, we don't want to do that anymore, and that you understand. And it's important to do that with that person, but it's also important to do that with God. And so God's just pointing this out, and as, as we've gone through and we've seen the kings and, and the way that they behave, um, David behaved in a very godly way. When, when he when he finally acknowledged his sin, because he it for quite a while, but when Nathan told him the story about the poor man with the one you and the rich man who had all these things, and the visitor comes and the, and the rich man takes that poor man's you and kills it for the feast, you know, when David suddenly recognizes all this, when he recognized he was sinning, he did all the right things. You know, Saul, on the other hand, did not. What, what was Saul's trajectory? He started out good, but he got impatient, and he started to want to do things his own way, and it started off with him offering the sacrifice because he didn't wait for Samuel to get there. Even though Samuel was on time, it was close to not being on time. And, and from there, Saul continued this downhill spiral, and it's, it's a good lesson also for us that if we sin, God will help us recognize that. God purposely sent Nathan to tell him that specific story, to open David's eyes to the sin he'd committed, to finally admit that he had done it. If we won't admit to the sin that's in our life, and we continue to go down that path, we stray farther and farther from God. And, and it becomes easier and easier to keep sinning and to keep ignoring God. And, and you just go down on that path. So as soon as we sin, we need to recognize that and do what David did and accept the consequences and ask for forgiveness and, and trust in God that the sin is forgiven. Maybe the earthly consequences aren't gone, but in God's eyes, that sin is forgiven and you don't have to pay for that anymore. 
And you could do your best to then move on and behave in a way that honors and glorifies. So good examples of Paul and his letters to the Ephesians and looking at New Testament after Christ is here and really what God has done for us and how that ties back to the Old Testament and just remembering for us in our lives that really it's we are saved by grace and it's all a work of God and we do have that responsibility that we need to watch for sin in our lives. We need to understand what God wants us to do and when we recognize it, we need to take action with it. Just like a fire. If you see a small fire start in your house, if you get the fire extinguisher or the bucket of water and you put that out, there's a little bit of damage. There's some stuff to clean up. But if you see that fire and you just look at it and it burns and it burns more, pretty soon what happens? House burns down, right? And then it's all gone. And you have to start completely over. Um, so, you know, if we see those things initially and we understand what's happening, we need to take care of it because it doesn't fix itself. It's like a plumbing leak. That leaky pipe is not going to quit leaking. It's going to leak more and more and more until things get really damaged. And so we just have to take care of it. As much as you don't want to crawl under the house and deal with that little leaky pipe, if you don't, you're going to have a lot bigger problems that you're going to have to deal with.